Hey, everybody, Doug here. Before we get started with the show, I want to tell you about a new book that Peter and I have published called From the Earth to the Moon, the miniseries Companion. If you love space and space exploration and movies and television shows about space and space exploration, this is for you. If you think you've read it all and know everything there is to know about the moon flights, we want you to think again. Uh, in 1998, the landmark TV series, From the Earth to the Moon, aired on HBO in 12 episodes, told the daring story of NASA's Project Apollo to put humans on the moon. Our book provides a comprehensive and detailed analysis of each episode of the miniseries and covers Apollo from start to finish and then some. It's more than a simple episode guide. Our companion reevaluates the entire Apollo program, both within and outside the context of the HBO series. We review the choices that the filmmakers made regarding the actors, special effects, and historical accuracy in every episode. We show what they got right, what they got wrong, and what they didn't tell you about each of the historic moon flights. Um, we cover all manned Apollo missions, the creation of the lunar module, the Apollo 1 fire and its aftermath, the personal and professional highs and lows of the astronauts, and lots of key NASA personnel. As an added bonus, the book includes an in-depth interview that I did with Andrew Chaikin, author of A Man on the Moon, the book that was the basis for the entire miniseries. It also includes 35 great images, many of which I can guarantee you've never seen before. Um, you can buy the book on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, or any of the book reader platforms. Uh, again, uh, we hope you check it out, and uh, on to the show. Thanks. All right, uh, lift off and the clock is started. Yes, sir, reading you loud and clear. Godspeed, John Glenn. Okay, everybody, here we go. Welcome to uh, the climactic episode of season one of The Right Stuff Companion. Uh, I remain Doug, and I'm joined, as always, by Peter. Welcome, Peter. Welcome, Doug. Well, here we are. We've we've finally arrived at an episode where somebody actually goes into space. Yes. I don't That's know about climactic. I mean, technically climactic. <laughs> Good Lord. Talk about edging. Like, this whole show is like an exercise in edging. Right. And this um, episode, uh, you know, <laughs> Trudy also leaves Cooper, which is sort of given almost as much uh, screen time as, <laughs> as Shepard's launch. So this is episode eight, titled appropriately Flight. It is directed by Andrew Bernstein and written by Mark Lafferty and Vinnie Wilhelm. And it aired on November 20th of uh, 2020. So, you know, just before we go into it, I, you have to kind of question the decision to go seven full episodes without a launch. Like... I I cannot imagine that they didn't lose a lot of viewers over this season because it's just too protracted. And well, yes. And on top of that, they didn't do the things like that the right stuff movie did because they didn't really follow the kind of piloty, right stuffy things like like Jaeger or the right. or the X that the book flights. focuses on. Right. So there's no, you know, because they sort of focus on the, this is, I don't mean this in this sense as a truly denigrating statement, but sort of the, the soap opera aspect of things uh, is more the center of the show than the NASA aspect of things. And, and they, so because of that, they, they missed a lot of the meat of the lead up. 
Yeah, and, and you know, and they they chose to focus on the sort of like the personal, the interpersonal tensions between the astronauts and their wives. Like that became right. the focus of the show. I mean, you've pointed out in prior episodes that you know that that territory has already been well, uh, you know, detailed in you know the 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 astronauts' wives' clubs, right? Wasn't that the yeah. name of the series? And and there's yeah. a whole episode of From the Earth to the Moon. Um, called the Astronaut Wives Pub that that you know focuses on almost all of these same issues. Yeah. Um, so you know they they decided not to redo what the Right Stuff movie did, but they ended up redoing what other media properties have done. Yeah, I wonder if it was sort of designed by committee. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I said before, I I do think that they aired in not. Um, not being a little more patriotic and waving the flag a little bit. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. I know that in the modern world, it's not so, it's a little gauche and politically incorrect, but who gives a crap? Like, wave the flag. These are the Mercury astronauts. Yeah. I don't know. That's just me. Okay. Uh, so we've a little we, a little more testosterone. Yeah. Well, there's testosterone, but it's 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 done it's done in like a toxic masculinity way. You know what I'm saying? There's plenty of yeah. testosterone, but it's always shown to be bad or evil. And there's always a little finger wag to it. Yeah, and there's two sides to testosterone. There's the bad side and there's the uh super motivating get pilot done. Right. Guys strapping themselves to a giant explosive device, <laughs> right. basically with a nozzle on one end. Right, you know? a big phallus. <laughs> right, right, and right, and you know, right. So you can look at it more ways than one, and it literally is an explosive. You know, that's basically exploding <laughs> slightly slower over two minutes instead of two Seven nanoseconds. Seconds, you know, <laughs> I don't remember when we were in high school. There was a uh, a hardcore band that I actually saw in concert not once but twice called Seven Seconds. Mm. Mm. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. It's I don't know, like I don't know, like in some ways this show is like an exercise in missed opportunities. But you know, I don't know. Maybe they'll learn and make the second season different. The second season they have a lot more opportunity for flights. There's five more Mercury flights after Freedom Seven. So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I don't think they have much to lose to try to. And there are no. sometimes shows that change things, like uh, like Agents of Shield. You know, the Marvel show really switched before. I think the end of their first season, that show got much better. Uh, yeah, so that, it does happen. Well, and I imagine they're reading the trades. You know, like they're reading their reviews, and a lot of the reviews made, you know, comments about that. In a lot of ways, the show was sort of flat or disappointing or workmanlike. Like that's not how you want to be described. Yeah. So, all right, should we jump in? Yeah, let's let's see. So it's it's basically uh, starts with the flight, right? Yeah, and the lead up to it. So we open on May fifth, nineteen sixty one. Um, we see Dio Hara and the docks uh, sort of sharing a moment and acknowledging that they're afraid Al might get blown up, and they're worried that he doesn't get killed. Um. There's a nice scene where they're loading the Mercury Redstone with uh, liquid oxygen. Um, and Al arrives uh, in the transfer van uh, with Gus. And Gus rides up the elevator with him. I yep. thought that these are some of the best 
scenes. Like it's it's good for them to, you know, like sort of revel in the actual launch. You know what I'm saying? And like these these sets look good. Like the yeah. Mercury control set looks good. The way that they've, you know, like the parts of the rocket that they built. There's a lot of CG here, but the parts of the rocket and the gantry, like it all looks really good. And they do the tension well, you know, because everybody thinks there's a big chance he could blow up. Yeah, right. He could die. He could totally die, you know, right. any minute. And, you I know, mean, he, besides- died, he could die sitting on the pad, as, as, as Gus will discover in 1967. Right. Um, and, you know, and he can die. And also it would be in the setting that they're behind. They're a month behind Gagarin's orbital flight. Um, first flight. Right. And even they, if right, even if this goes great, they're still behind the Soviets. Right. And if it doesn't go well, they it's incredibly embarrassing. They're just, you know, they're all eyes are on them. And if it, and I think it's also implied that if it doesn't go well, the program might just end. You know, like oh, okay, <laughs> we'll just concede this one. Like we're already behind. We've killed this guy on national TV. I wonder um, what would happen. But so Gus rides up the the gantry with Al, and there is Glenn waiting for him on top, and he kind of makes this awkward joke. And there's lots of photos of this if you want to look. There's lots of photos of Glenn with the sign that's sort of no handball playing against this wall sign that he he puts inside the capsule. And this scene is done almost identically in the Right Stuff movie. Um, the Right Stuff movie does not make nearly as much hay about the rivalry between Al and John, whereas here it's the centerpiece of the show in many ways. Yeah, um, including the roof scene that we talked about, I think, last episode. That was, yeah, that was terrible. Painful. Yeah, that's a real low point for the series. Like, just as heavy, like, they didn't need to do that after all the episodes we've seen just to have this, like, super heavy-handed ending to episode seven. Um, but Alan John shake hands, and there's kind of a hint that perhaps, just perhaps, there is a reconciliation. Like Al has really won and John has, he swallowed it about as best he can. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty good scene. Yeah. It's again, like for, you know, they, they haven't been uh, skimpy on the clunkiness in this show. Uh, but, the, but this, they, they get it right. And then I think I like the bit, um, where the white room is rolled away. I thought that actually looked really good. Yeah. Um, and we, and, and our, uh, over at our From the Earth to the Moon podcast, we actually have more than a few conversations about sort of the role and the meaning of the white room in the American space program. So it was nice to see that they kind of, they did a good job of it here. And again, I, I think that one of the best shots in the episode is the white room rolling away and you just see the capsule sitting on top of the redstone booster and there's a nice cg shot uh, as you sort of move down and to the right and you see you know al is finally on the pad in the rocket by himself and then that's actually the shot that they linger on before they go to this episode's credits opening credits right and the just the white room is the for some of our listeners the white who might not know that white room is the 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 room that's surrounding the capsule itself on the very top of the rocket that's sitting, it's attached to the gantry next to the rocket. So basically it's the room that, you know, they prepare and load the astronaut into the capsule and then close the door. Right. 
Right. And it's said it's painted white on the inside, not on the right. outside. It's painted white on the inside. Uh, over at our uh, From Near to the Moon podcast, there's, a, there's one of our discussions about as we actually talk about how I was actually in one of the old Apollo uh, white rooms a long time ago. But anyway, I'll leave that. You can listen to that over there. Yeah. Uh, we see uh, our Shorty Powers, uh, who's on TV, who makes the, <laughs> I thought it was well done. He says, the redstone is relatively reliable. <laughs> I don't know if you want to risk your life on something that's relatively reliable. Yeah, that's the way his territory goes. Yeah. And then uh, we cut to the shepherd home. And remember, I don't know, uh, just for the so some of the listeners, remember that Louise and Al had kind of a falling out and she does not stay for the launch, right? Uh, when Reen Carpenter confronts her and basically says Al is screwing around and everybody knows it, you know, she's embarrassed and ashamed and humiliated and she leaves like when the launch is delayed she's just like i'm not hanging around here and she goes home and then um so we see her watching the launch from her home and loud and wainwright of life is in the shepherd home uh sitting next to none other than their adopted daughter um yeah and there's a whole bunch of other press on the lawn outside the house yeah um, and then we sort of segue into um, something we've seen in the Right Stuff movie, which is the drama over the fact that Al is, you know, he's been in the rocket a long time, much longer than they anticipated before the launch because of launch delays, and he has to take a leak. Yes. Yeah, and he's been there long enough. He had eight cups of coffee for breakfast. <laughs> All black. <laughs> and and in the Right Stuff movie, this is almost entirely done for laughs yes and it's not done for laughs here right uh in the right stuff movie you know there's like all sorts of scenes of people drinking coffee water running going to the bathroom you know uh scott glenn who plays al shepherd in the right stuff movie sort of you know grimacing half humorously in his in his helmet and we see him through his visor and here it's done like everything else in this show it's done in a dead dead serious manner Matter right, fact. So, right. And Al tells uh, Al, Al tells a Capcom he has to pee. Gordo tells Von Braun, and Von Braun says, We gotta we gotta get him out or we scrub the launch. They're worried yeah. about a fire or a short. Um so I, you know, I don't know. What do you think? Was that a good decision or a bad decision? I think they probably should not have done it. Because they really, the, assuming that they never tested for it, they're right about there potentially being a short and a fire, you know? Yeah. But they're not, they're not kidding. Uh, unless they did test for that, you know, like they at one point spilled some, you know, salt water <laughs> around or whatever. In the suit. In the suit or in the capsule or whatever. You know, like, I don't think that his EKG leads are going to make any difference, but no. I wonder. It might work better. <laughs> right exactly they probably do um but you know all of a sudden he's got like st elevations yeah no i wonder <laughs> if you know i wonder if though uh, like could it have shorted something else out besides... yeah he does have an electric thermometer in his rectum during the flight so like, they do actually make the point that he does power down the electric thermometer in his behind because his bottom is going to be sitting in it Right, and they they kind of like power down. Right, they power down a bunch of stuff, when, and then make then they decide to have him pee because they don't want to risk. They don't want to delay things anymore. 
Right. And, you know, the, the right stuff movie kind of makes the point that Al is impatient and, and he just wants to pee so that they don't have to get him out or, or delay or postpone. He's just like, let's just go like this which is stupid, is, which is more true. Yeah, they do, by the way, uh, for political correctness sake, they omit his very famous comment. Uh, that he does say in real life that they do show in the right stuff movie is when he pees in his suit, he says, I'm a wet back now. Um, you know, <laughs> referring to illegal aliens who have crossed the, the, the Rio Grande and were referred to at the time as wetbacks. Um, and that was a very, very famous line that they completely eliminate from the show, which, you know, I mean, he said it. It's part of the story. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's how people talk. Like, I don't know, like, Again, like if you're going to show him sleeping around and cheating on his wife, yeah, I don't know. Like it's a weird decision, you know. Yeah, and you know, at Gordo, uh, they show him at the press conference making the like we sent chimps up, why not women line. Um, yeah, they could have. Sh- you're right. They could have had this, in yeah, there, but I they don't, don't want to. They don't want to subtract from Shepard's polish, right? Which, but again, it, know, it's history. Life, you know what I'm saying? But in like, real life, he, he actually said polished. it. Right. And that was that was the whole deal is he wasn't they weren't none of them were polished. You know, Shepard was, by all accounts, incredibly rough and coarse. Well, yeah, right. It gets back to testosterone and what we said. You know, they they ignore that side. Right. Right. Um, So his heart rate is 200. We're told by the flight surgeon, but the surgeon is still a go. And Al makes his uh, his famous line, which is the title of Al Shepard's biography light this candle like enough enough let's go um and i'm not gonna lie the launch looks great it's really like finally it's like a triumph for the show that they actually have a launch sequence is that stock footage no it's almost entirely cg it looks very good it looks really good um you know the uh you know, there's sort of a famous little bit when the rocket takes off, this little shed nearby flips over from the force. And they don't do that here, but it looks really good. Um, and, and you know, like you sort of see Al triumphant, like finally he gets his moment. Um, and, you know, they do a nice job of, of having some ice and sort of fumes come off the side of the rocket as they go. Um it just looks really, really good. And it kind of does a good job, too, of making the Mercury Redstone look both impressive and, you know, kind of flimsy at the same time. Like, it's really small. It's only, I think it's like 83 feet tall, the Redstone. I mean, it's tiny. Right, which is why I can't get into orbit. Right, yeah, it doesn't have enough fuel. Right, to um, get to that speed. And they intercut with uh, the Shepherd household. And, you know, you could see like as pissed as Louise Shepherd is, like at the moment of truth, like she's there, like she's really kind of rooting for Al. Um, and Wainwright says to Al's adopted daughter, like he calls Al her father, you know, like that's yeah. your dad. Um, Because it was an interesting kind of departure, you know, at the moment of sort of maximum dramatic payoff, like they give the adopted daughter, you know, just five seconds of screen time to remind you that she's still there. Yeah. Um, And Al pulls, you know, 10 G's. Yeah, it looks good. It looks good. I the, Some of the shaking, they have this sort of like shaking effect, which is just clearly like they've sort of digitally shaken things. That looked a little fake, but I thought overall the CGI looked good. 
Um, they show Miko main engine cut off, and I there's a really really nice bit where they show the capsule separation um, yeah. from the booster, which I really like. And you know they show that too in from the Earth to the Moon, and then from the Earth to the Moon, it's almost entirely done with models. Uh, again, from the Earth to the Moon is you know it, it airs 98. in '98, right? So a little bit of a different time, and the the CG in from the Earth to the Moon is pretty sparing. It's mostly model work. Um, but here, like, it's mostly digital, but the cap step looks great. I actually think it's a little more fun in From the Earth to the Moon. Like, the, the, it, they, they use a better score in From the Earth to the Moon, and it's a little more exciting. But mm-hmm. they do, this is a good job. And again, it, it's consistent with the tone of this show. Um, yeah. It's a good job. Yeah, it's a good job. And then, you know, he gets his few moments of zero G as the sort of, you know, once the capsule separates from the booster, you know, he's flying a parabolic arc where he's essentially in zero gravity. Um, and, and, you know, his time in zero G is, you know, from the time that the booster separates to the top of the parabolic arc and the beginning of when he starts to come back down the other side of the arc until the Gs start to accumulate and he decelerates. So that's it. He just gets a few minutes. Right, because the whole flight's what, 16 minutes. Yeah, it's it's, it's something like that. Um, uh, he rolls that he doesn't have a window, so Freedom Seven does not have a window because it was an it's an early sort of Mark One Mercury capsule. He doesn't right. have a window. All he has is the periscope, and he gets to dork around a little bit with uh, the hand controller and make some manual roll, pitch, and yaw movements. Essentially, it's, it's proof of concept. It's a demonstration flight. That's about it. Yeah. Um, and then they didn't, they've never showed this in the right stuff or from the Earth to the Moon, but it is true that uh, Al uh, did, uh, he was not able to retract the sunshade because he didn't retract the sunshade before launch, so he can't do it once he's up. Um, so it is true that in real life, Al Shepard's views out the periscope are only black and white because of the sunshade. And that's actually, I was actually, I was surprised that they actually added that in. They don't actually make a, they don't make much about it, but in real life, Shepard was very disappointed that he had made that error and he never got to see uh, things in color until his Apollo flight, you know, many years later. But he does talk about it later on the ground when he's sort of, as the follow-up, when he's coming down from the yeah. site. Yeah, we'll get to that when he talks to Glenn. Right, it is well done. Um, we see uh, identically presented to uh, from the Earth to the Moon uh, the floating washer scene. Right when he when they reach zero gravity, a washer sort of drifts up from the footwell, and that's yeah. how he knows he's really in zero gravity. And there's actually a couple of floating washer scenes in from the Earth to the Moon. So again, they're trotting some some well trodden ground here. Yeah, but that sort of serves as a true um, climactic moment. Right, because he's in he's in sports space, like he's left Earth's gravity. Right. Yeah, he's really there. Like they've actually done it. You know, seven right. hours and twenty two minutes into this series. <laughs> Whoopee! <laughs> exactly. Um, and then we do see Retro Fire, um, and you know he's got his Retro Pack, which are the three small solid rocket motors that are on the underside of the the Mercury Redstone. Sorry, the Redstone capsule. Um, and then he, you know, there's brief mention of him using ASCS, which I thought, you know, like I thought that was kind of cool if they called it out. I don't remember that ever being mentioned in 
the right stuff film or from the earth to the moon. And it's just, it's worth kind of commenting, I think, for the viewers what that is, because it's kind of cool. It's the automatic stabilization and control system, which was the de facto capsule uh, orientation system. So this was something that Mercury had that was capable of controlling the spacecraft sort of attitude and roll rates on all three axes, and it used information from the attitude and rate gyros. So there's a couple of different modes of ASCS operation. Uh, there's re-entry mode, there's retrograde attitude hold mode, there's orbit mode, but, but what we see here is the re-entry mode, which essentially positions the spacecraft to the proper re-entry attitude, picks a roll rate, and damps the re-entry oscillation. And what this really does is, on the one hand, it emphasizes how little they really flew. Right. I mean, like when right. when Al turns on the ASCS, the capsule is kind of mostly flying itself. And the stated purpose of the ASCS was that it freed the pilot up to focus on other things, both during the flight and reentry. So, you know, like in the Right Stuff book and the film, you know, the you know, when they show Jaeger and Ridley and those guys back at Edwards, you know, they are criticizing Mercury because there's not a lot of flying to do. And basically, you know, he just he moves true. the reaction thrusters around and, and basically rotates the capsule a couple times in a, mm -hmm. in a couple minutes, and then then the whole rest of the flight he's a passenger. And 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 that is, in all fairness, true of most space flight. Uh, that's true of both Americans, and it's actually more true of Soviets. I mean, we've talked about this in some of our other podcasts. You know, like when the astronauts land on the moon in Apollo. You know, like. The, the guidance computer flies 95-plus percent of the, the flight profile. Right. While down to the lunar surface. Um, and, you know, when the astronauts take off and land a space shuttle, the computer is mostly flying. You know, I mean, these are events that are too fast in some respect for humans to control. Right. So, you know, and again, it's no shame that, that this is how they did it. But, you know, it's not like flying an airplane. It's very, very different than flying an airplane where you have second-to-second -second control. <sighs> so we cut to the... Re now we're in re-entry. He's on the way down. He's, uh, he's saying, he's sort of grunt... Al Shepard very famously, and you can hear this if you listen to the transcript uh, recordings, you know, he's saying okay the whole way down. He's sort of grunting, okay, okay, because he's yeah. really building up the G's. I think it's about 10 G's on the way down for Al. Yeah, And he's Pretty grunting, steep. okay, just so that they know he is alive. Yeah. Um, there's a nice scene where the shoot comes out, not as good as the scene where the shoot comes out from the Earth to the Moon, but I really like the fact and this is something that I think they do better than From the Earth to the Moon is they show the landing bag, which I've never really seen in a movie or TV show before. So um, there's the retro pack, uh, which comes off after it's used. And then there's the heat shield. And between the heat shield and uh, the mercury capsule itself is the landing bag, which is literally a, an air-filled bag with a million holes in it. So when they hit the water, the air comes out the sides and it cushions the impact. Uh, and I think that's the first time we've ever seen the landing bag shown in media. But usually they just show the capsule with a hard bottom hitting the water, but that's not how it was. Uh, so I thought it was pretty cool that they showed the landing bag. I don't know if you remember, but, and again, we're not giving anything away. This all happened decades ago. But, you know, Al, sorry, when Gus Grissom flies Liberty Bell 7, he loses his capsule uh, in the recovery. But when uh, in the 90s, when they recovered, 
Liberty Bell 7 on the bottom of the ocean. Like if you look at the video and they find the caps on the bottom of the ocean, like the most prominent thing that you notice is the landing bag is hanging off of the bottom. Like, because there it was, you know, it was just sitting yeah. there for 40 years. There's the landing bag. So it's cool that they showed it here. Um, and there's a lot of cheering and and uh, Mercury control. Gilruth and Kraft shake hands like they've finally done it. And Gilruth turns to Glenn, who's come down from the gantry and gone into Mercury control and says, Glenn, don't worry, you'll go up soon. You know, you know, it was a really good bit, by the way. I forgot to mention when when Al hits the water he kind of roars like he doesn't really cheer he kind of makes this like Whoa! sound like he like yeah and i think the implication is his mic is off like he wouldn't do that if he was being recorded you know but for him he's not on vox as they say right but for him like he go to he has this sort of triumphant roar like i beat everybody like i didn't beat yuri gagarin but i beat the guys that i got to look in the face every day like i beat them and i lived right Right. And I made it and I'm down and it's over. I thought that was kind of good. You know, again, there's not a lot of moments in this series where you really like Al. And that was kind of a moment where you really kind of sympathize with Al's position. Um, going from high to low, we then transition to uh, Deke and Deke gets an offer uh, from Chris Kraft. Uh, and they basically say to him, you know, we want you to be kind of like the head astronaut. And it's like, they say, he says to him, it's like Capcom, but all the time. Right. Um, that's a good offer. Yeah. It's kind of the best they can do. And, and, and Chris Kraft uh, thinks up the term astronaut communicator, which Deke says is ASCOM. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're like, well, you pick a name. Like they just kind of like throw their hands up. And then, uh, we see Deke smile a little bit and it's sort of implied that like, well, I can, this sucks, but I can live with it. Right. Man, I always think how hard that must have been for poor Deke to swallow. Yeah. One of the right testosterone laden dudes. Yeah. Although in real life, he, the final term that they agree on is director of flight crew operations. And I guarantee you, he pitched hard to have that word flight in there. Yeah. Um, and there's sort of an awareness that uh, Gus is up next, right? And eyes are turning now to Gus, right? He's going to go next and essentially repeat Al's flight uh, uh, on Liberty Bell 7. Um, and then there's a really good scene where Al and Glenn talk, and you had alluded to this earlier. This is, this is also one of the really good scenes in the episode where Al is upset and he says 15 minutes wasn't enough and he essentially poo-poos the flight and says he lied to the press about how lame it was. Yeah, you could see, right, because of the, uh, the, the neutral density filter on the, you know, on the um, periscope. periscope. And, you know, basically it kind of sucked. And he's just feeling very, he's feeling a come down, like he's feeling anti-climax, you know? Yeah. He actually, his exact words, he says, I felt nothing up there. And he said the simulator was more realistic. Amazing. Yeah. And Glenn is kind of shocked by this, you know, like he kind of like, he kind of wonders, like, is anything enough for Al? Right. Right. Al but Al, you know, you can really sympathize with Al in this scene. Mm -hmm. I mean. It's an amusement park ride. Right. Right. And, and it is short and it is, he couldn't really see. And man, I mean, 
what was to it, you know, and, and where's he going to go from here? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And now he's got to stand back and watch everybody else go, which he doesn't like, you know, that's not going to be fun for him and his ego. So he yeah. says he just wants the next thing and he has a hunger to do the next thing. Uh, and then, and actually, interestingly, Al says that to Glenn that you're no different. Like you can pretend you're different, but you're no different. Yes, which is also rather, it's one of the better, um, you know, better sort of interactions between these two men mm-hmm. because it's true. Yeah. To me, that where they take creative license in something like this, when they expand their, because a lot of the, you know, this this first season is expanding the rivalry or the relationship between Shepard and Glenn, right? To me, this is doing it right. Is mm-hmm. that this interaction and and when Shepard basically tells Glenn that he's he's no different, that he's just as ambitious, he just cloaks his ambition. Um, is right. is doing is doing that exposition, uh, that sort of prob- possibly fictional exposition properly. Right. And, and, and he kind of implies that Glenn's humility is just kind of a artifice and, you know, phony. He knows that it looks good, but it's really not real. Right. You know, it's funny, too, because like that, um, that's hard to pull off. You know what I'm saying? Like when, you know, when a lot of times when you could imagine the astronaut said like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm just here for the team. What they really meant was I'm here for me, you know. Sure. And and I don't know. Again, I, I feel a little bit sorry for our readers that we're just talking so much about From the Earth to the Moon, but it, it's hard not to. And there's a great scene in one of the episodes of From the Earth to the Moon where Jack Schmidt gets bumped from his Apollo flight. And and he's able to genuinely say, like, well, you know, it just means that, you know, what I'm doing here trying to teach all you guys geology is that much more important. So, like, he, he's able to sort of genuinely convey, like, well, I didn't, I'm, I'm not going to get my shot, but I want to make your shots better. And then, ironically, Jack Schmidt does get his shot when he flies on Apollo 17. Yeah. Um, and now we sort of come to the, the trials and tribulations of Trudy Cooper, right? So, Gus comes home. We see Gus come home, and Trudy is literally packing her bags. And she tells Gus to his face, I'm leaving because of one specific thing you said in the press conference. And I've just had enough. And I just, I don't, I, I can't look the children in the face anymore and suck this up anymore after you talk about me like that in public. Um, and Gordo makes some noises, but it's obvious he's really just worried about himself. Right. You know? And then she leaves, literally, she literally leaves Gordo for Jerry Cobb. Um, yeah. And then uh, we're bouncing around a little bit, but uh, when she meets Cobb, right, she leaves She leaves Gordo to go be with Cobb, who drops her like a hot potato. <laughs> On the spot, because yeah. she had bad press. Right. And, and how would it look if the first astronaut who was a woman was divorced? Right. So she's she's kind of yep. upended her life for this sort of vision that Jerry Cobb has sold her only to find out that uh, that Jerry Cobb has zero loyalty towards her. Zero. Yeah. That is brutal. That was rough. That is just brutal. You know, it's, it shows you like, you know, like it's really dog eat dog. And, 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 you know, just like with the astronauts, as Trudy discovers, everyone in this game is kind of just out for themselves in this sort of like piloting spacecraft business, you know? 
Yeah. It's like, you know, I want mine and I can't even begin to think about you and yours until I get mine. And, and, you know, Trudy also realizes that she's been played. You know what I'm saying? Like she was happy to have Trudy aboard for the publicity it would get her. Right. And the minute that publicity is negative, that's it. Go after yourself. Right. You could kind of tell that she was using Trudy for those purposes earlier on, but she really, I mean, talk about like kind of cutthroat. Yeah, no, it's, it's it, honestly like that's a cold, cold scene, you know, and it's all, and, and, you know, Jerry does it as like, of course you understand, right? Of course we would drop you and treat you terribly like this. Now that you're divorced, we can't be seen with someone like you. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh my God. Um, Keeping with our marital drama theme, we now see Al come home to Louise. Um, and uh, he, you know, to his credit, he apologizes to her. And he says, I should have apologized to you in Florida. I'm sorry. And she says, uh, it may be the best scene for this woman who plays Louise Shepard. She says she's proud of him, but she's really hurt. And she said, you know, if I left you, it would kill me, but I'd do it. Like, yeah. And it kind of implies like there's a limit. Like, Al, you can push only so far. And then when you cross that line, like, I'm going to one day, I'm, you know, I'm going to leave too. And just like Trudy, right? It's, you know, they don't talk about Trudy with the viewer. You know, just like Trudy, like there's a limit. And one day I'll pack up my, my stuff and get out of here. Yep. So, and it's kind of implied that Al learns like, okay, okay. All right. I, I, I get it. Like, you didn't come to the launch. Like, that's what it took for me to really hear you. So, we'll see, you know. Um, and then, uh, uh, once again, keeping with our marital theme, we then go to the Glenn household because uh, uh, we see Annie and John and they're eating some cake. And Anne is very suspicious of John, who appears to be handling Al's victory very well, almost too well. Like she actually comments, like, is this, you know, have you replaced my husband with somebody else? Right. Um, and, and the implication is that John is handling it too well because he's scheming again. Yeah. You know, he's got, uh, he's got a little trick up his sleeve, which we find out is in fact the case. Right. Um, and uh, what uh, what what was really going on is is Glenn is dealing with or talking to NASA people, um, and he's basically saying, you know, let's put me up in the Atlas next, right? He's meeting with Bob Gilruth on the sly, and he's saying, there's no point in putting me up in a Mercury Redstone, put me in, a, in an Atlas. And, you know, Gilruth tells him, like, it's really, really dangerous. Like, maybe we're not ready to do this. And then Glenn is essentially saying, like, well, what's the point in doing this? Like, if we're not going to take any risks and, and I'm willing to take the risk, put me up in the Atlas. You know, I don't care. Right, right. and the so, Atlas had been exploding uh, at an unsafe rate. It wasn't right. ready. That's why they, they shot, you know, two Redstone rockets first. Right. But again, sort of showing that that Annie Glenn reads her husband correctly. And and John is full of crap. And all of his, you know, attaboy, Al, is just baloney because he's just scheming behind the scenes again for his own betterment. 
right? There's nothing he can do. Al's already been up and was first, and now he's trying to make sure his flight is more distinguished, at least, if he's not first. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we wrap up with a little bit of a, a couple of short scenes where we see uh, Louise sleeping and Al is up in uh, sitting up in bed reading fan mail, drinking booze. Um, and he still is suffering from many years disease. And he's having a lot of ringing in his ears, implying that, you know, his troubles haven't stopped. Um, Gus and Deke drink uh, to Deke's new job in his office as the chief of the astronaut office. Um, and then uh, we see Trudy in a little tiny tail dragger airplane with uh, one of her daughters, uh, who doesn't really understand what's going on and kind of says that she wants to be with her father. Right. Uh, doesn't really know the depths of what's happened. And then there's kind of like a schmaltzy scene where Trudy takes her kid up and sort of explains a little bit of the basics of flying a plane. And they, we see her take off on a grass strip, um, implying that, you know, Trudy is down but not out. Right. And then season one ends. It is a bit of a long run for a short slide. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, the show is essentially a soap opera. You know, yeah. it's a soap opera with a little bit of rockets. I know, I know. And there, there, aren't, there are some ways to make soap operas that are decent. And I think, you know, the scene between, uh, in this episode, between uh, um, Al and, and John Glenn is a good example of that. But they don't always do it that well. And most mm -hmm. of the time, I don't think they do. They're not yeah. providing any further really insight by using the fiction. They're just sort of setting up tensions to maybe almost in a, in a way, a very designed fake way to make the show more palatable to certain audiences or to create a certain tone in the show that they feel like will be more interesting to a broad audience. Um, that's what bugs me. Well, I also think like if you watch, for example, like if you go on Disney Plus or YouTube and you watch the trailer, the trailer really emphasizes the flying part. You know what I'm saying? And like, for example, if you go on the home screen on Disney Plus, you know, it's a photo of Glenn in his spacesuit holding his helmet, right? Like if they were really being accurate, it'd be a photo of Gordo arguing with Trudy. You or, know? or the dude taking a picture of uh, Al coming out of the motel with the, the chick. <laughs> right, right, exactly. In Tijuana. Right. Right, but I mean, like, you know, they had to kind of pitch it on the flying aspects, um, even though that's not really what this show is about. Yeah. So, I don't know. Again, I, I think I like this episode more than most of the other episodes, if not the most, because, you know, like, it, they give you a little bit of release of all the sort of buildup. Like, you actually see the flight. And the flight scene is really well done. I actually have watched the flight scene a, a couple of times, you know, just sort of on a, an isolated way outside of the episode. But, you know, they have a chance next season, if they do come back with a second season, they have a chance to really accelerate this thing. And if they have half a brain, they'll move into Gemini. Because Gemini is really exciting. There's a lot of flights and a lot of drama in Gemini. Like, I'll be curious, you know, like, there's nothing to stop them from keeping, you know, just keep going. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's no reason they couldn't do Mercury and Gemini, right? Yeah. We'll like, Gemini's never really gotten the star treatment. And, like, 
like the stories of Gemini are so exciting and so good. And the personalities of the astronauts are really winning. Like, I don't know, like they could, like, there's a lot of room there. I agree. So we'll see. I don't know. Like if you guys are listening, showrunners are the right stuff. Like, please take this to heart. Feel free to reach out to, to Peter and I. <laughs> Popcorn drink combo at gmail.com. Um, and isn't there, isn't there a right stuff Gmail too? Is it right stuff companion at gmail.com? Yes. Right. So if you're listening, please, please, please reach out to us, please. Did we mention we'd like you to reach out to us? <laughs> I'm not sure if they, that was clear. No. <laughs> I'm not sure if they're listening either. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think looking back on the whole first season? Just what we, I, I agree just we 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 just reiterated it you know it's it's um i think that they took the license they used to flesh out the personalities and the relationship among the astronauts and their families missed the mark to an extent um i, I think it i think it was designed rather than you know sort of written well right well, you know, if you're going to call, I was just thinking about this. It just suddenly occurred to me. If you're going to call it the right stuff, then make it the right stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're not going to yeah. really do the right stuff, then call it Project Mercury. You know what I'm saying? Or Astronaut like, Wives Club. Right. NASA, NASA's early years or, or, or some something like that. Like, if you're, like, if you're going to call it the right stuff, like, then make it about the right stuff. It's not really about that, though. Like the book and the movie are about the right stuff, like the concept of the right stuff and the bravery and the risks and the bravado and the single combat warrior nonsense, like all of that, you know, but like you can't call it the right stuff and make it about, you know, Trudy Cooper, right? Well, I mean, or, you know, or they, Louise Shepard. Well, they, they actually, I think they're, <clears throat> excuse me, I think they're doing that second season because, uh, the uh they released a couple of the uh, episode titles and, and season two episode one is john glenn mows his lawn <laughs> that's the title right but i mean you know it's like it's like if you went to see star wars and it was you know like you went to go see movie titled star wars and it was about you know it was two hours of uncle owen and aunt peru you know like <laughs> struggling with the water you know with the moisture evaporators and drinking blue milk you'd be like hmm that was weird they should have called it you know like you know, home on the home on the range on Tatooine or something like he like the title has to reflect the content. And again, like the Louise Shepard stuff is interesting, and the Trudy Cooper stuff is interesting. But you know, like if if it's really about them, you have to call it something else. Well, I think Lucas's his first draft also included a lot about Yoda being constipated because he's really <laughs> old. Uh. I don't know where that came from, <laughs> but it was funny. All right. Well, if there is a season two, which I, I do hope there is, if there is a season two, Peter and I will be back for sure to give you the blow by blow. It looks um, like they, right now, it looks like they are making one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Who knows? Especially with COVID and everything. We'll see. But I hope they do. I want to see, I want to see, you know, Gus's flight. I want to see John's flight. I want to see you know, Gordo's flight. And I want to see it all. Like, let's, let's do it. Hopefully they do a flight an episode. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. See what they come up with. Yeah. 
All right. Well, listen, everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, please uh, give us a review, especially if you like the show. We really like those reviews. And uh, comment about us on social media. And uh, we will be back for season two next year, I hope. Or I guess later this year. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Doug.